so I'm Kent McGuire. And I can't tell you how refreshing it is to be at this university. I used to be a dean. I'm still recovering <laughs> from that um, at an institution in Philadelphia that I would say has a very similar history as this institution. And so just stepping onto the campus, uh, I could feel it. I knew you know, where I was. I'm going to put my timer on because I have a reputation of going long. <laughs> and I don't want to leave that reputation here. Um, so I'm from Lansing, Michigan. I grew up there. My dad, Cyril, and my mother, Mary Jane. Mary Jane sent me a FedEx package Saturday morning because she knew I couldn't use this hand. And she didn't want me to starve to death over the weekend. While my wife, who is a physician for crying out loud, left town. <laughs> left town. So I grew up in Lansing, Michigan. Um, I was, let's just say, I learned when I needed to. Um, and I performed up to the standards that were set for me. So there were times when I would be a little lax, right? But my parents were smart. And they said, you know, we have a treatment for this, right? We're going to send him to work. We're going to put him in a setting where he might have second thoughts about how hard he should work, right? Lansing, Michigan. What do we make in Lansing, Michigan? What back? Well, I don't want to date myself too much. Malcolm X was a relative, actually. His brother and his sister were adopted by my grandparents. They came up from the British West Indies, actually, moved into Lansing for the same reason we were there. There were jobs. And I got to work every summer at Oldsmobile. Now, I've had a bunch of jobs. I'd take a 20 minutes. I'd have another TED talk to tell you about all the jobs I've had. But I can still remember the jobs I had in the plant. I can still remember. I, we don't have enough time for me to go through them. I'll just tell you about one. I water tested the gas tanks that would go into the cars. And back in the day, they didn't have machines. People did that. And I put on these long rubber gloves, and I this this line would come through, and you had to take a big gas tank off of it and slide it into a rack, push a button, and down it would go into the water. And then the machine would pump air into that gas tank. 
While he was doing that, you went and got another one. And you put that into the machine in front of you. Then you pushed the button and you sent it down under the water. Then you ran back over here to get punch a button to raise up the other one after you looked at it to make sure it wasn't leaking. While that was water was dripping off, because if you didn't let it drip off, you'd be soaking wet two hours into your 10-hour shift. You'd come over here and you'd push the button to bring this one up. You take this one and you throw it back onto the rack. You grab another one and do that. You would do this for 10 hours with a 30-minute break. I had what was called the afternoon shift, which meant I would go into work at 4.30 in the afternoon, and I would come out at 3 a.m. What a summer I would have. Right? <laughs> everybody was asleep when I got home. By the time I woke up, everybody was gone, right? And I did that. And the point my dad was trying to make got through to me. He said, you know, you actually might want to move your GPA up a couple of notches at the University of Michigan. Truth is, though, the schools I attended in Lansing, good though they were, they were designed for all of us to take the same kind of job. I'm here to talk in the context of the future of learning about the need to change that design. Um, so what am I talking about? Fixed calendar, fixed school day, a Carnegie unit, a standard assessment based on memorization of facts, right? Let me see if I can make this thing work. Look at, nope, I'm going the wrong way. Let's try that. Look at that, all right. What I needed to be in was a school like this, right? Um, and so I think Searle and Mary Jane figured out that they were going to have to build a set of deeper and experiential learning activities around school as they knew it. So I had to go to fashion shows. I had to read poetry. I had to give speeches. I had to, there was a bunch of things we had to do, Terry and I. We weren't feeling at the time, but, but we did it. But what I think my parents had in mind for us that in spite of a school that had probably made their minds up about how much we should know and be able to do before we got there, we were going to emerge from Lansing with a sense of agency and confidence uh, that we could handle ourselves in a complicated world that may or may not have our best interest in mind. Um, why did I come to the Hewlett Foundation? To flip that on its ear and to start to work to create 
institutions and systems that actually start with this sense of agency and confidence and resilience uh, in young people and try to figure out how to get the schools to flex in ways that brings the best of that out for all kids. I call that deeper learning. Now, I got to push the down arrow or else it, I will prove I haven't learned very deeply. Um, <laughs> so the school I should have been able to go to and that we need to create for others are ones where, I think Laura actually said it first, that the employees, this is an office, need to think of themselves as students, and the students need to think of themselves as employees. There's a lot of correspondence across these, what I'll call, competencies that we observe in the workplace that we need to figure out how to organize to provide in school. Same thing if you're in a science lab. Or even now on a construction site. So we really got to flip this on its ear. What we're trying to do is to think about it an education system that isn't motivated by order, but purpose. Isn't driven by control, but imagination and flexibility. that thinks about accountability in terms of mutual responsibility and reciprocity. And learning isn't about sitting and getting it. It's about experience, personalization, and so on. That's the kind of system we need to get. Now, I'm a glass half full kind of guy, and I only have a few minutes. Um, and so I'm here to tell you that I believe that flip is possible. I don't know how probable it is, but it is possible. And we're going to commit to working on it over the next uh, five, six, seven years at Hewlett until my time runs out. Um, but I want to say something because I am in a university. Uh, I want to say just a few things. And what I really want to say is that higher education, generally speaking, and I think schools of education in particular, are really well situated to lead the transformation we need to see. Uh, when I was a dean, takes four years of recovery for every year of service, would you know that? Um, I used to go to 
my faculty, here I am in Philadelphia, one of what I think are the most interesting laboratories in urban education. And I wonderful colleagues, mostly incented to take the world apart, to deconstruct. The incentives for our research are all about taking the problems and peeling the onion. And I would go to the faculty and say, you know, eventually we need to put the world back together again, <laughs> right? Which is a long way of saying, if we could organize around a problem that people out in the real world are actually trying to solve, people would actually take an interest in us. They would find us helpful. I know that's what this institute on the future of learning, I'm betting that will be its orientation, right? <laughs> right? So that's one thing. Two, we educate a lot of teachers, more than anybody else in Pennsylvania. We might have shipped a few to California, a couple other places. If we could help them think about change management, and adult learning, they'd be more equipped to handle the reality, the inevitability of change and innovation. And finally, I'll just repeat something the president said, your president said, if higher education can engage in strategic partnerships with lots of other institutions, but most especially the public schools. There's a huge dividend there. The university will appreciate more fully the challenges that are being faced in community and systems. Um, what students have to do to be successful in higher ed won't be as mystical as we have figured out how to make it today. We might even get lined up. The expectations as you leave high school with the expectations as you enter college. So there's nothing but an upside in figuring out how to bring these two worlds more in sync with one another. And I am very optimistic, um, because the incentives run this way, that that's exactly what will happen here at San Jose State. And I wish the institution all the best uh, in creating the institute uh, and all the alliances, I'm sure, will evolve from that. Thank you all very, very, very much. <laughs>